You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. Lots to talk about. Big week in college football. Um, we got to start with what happened in state college. Penn State, your pick to win the Big Ten. Uh, looked like they were well on their way to winning this one. And then Ohio State and the final frame just coming back and breaking about 108,000 people's hearts. Yeah, I think. Uh... It, it pains me as another another man with the same last name. I really don't think James Franklin is a good coach, and it has nothing to do with the decision-making this weekend. It's just been compounded from previous seasons. It feels like any time they're in a big situation, if it's not one of the playmakers that is able to get the ball in their hands, his decision-making costs them games. Yeah, I mean, he's... James Franklin's a dick. Like the, he's yes. not he's not a likable guy at all. No, but no, no. the the football decision making kind of didn't help matters um, in this game, and especially obviously, arguably the worst fourth down call of all time. This is a Penn State team that really misses Joe Moorhead um, as a play caller, who's now at Mississippi State. Um, but yeah, I mean. If you're if you're looking for fingers to, to point at people, people to blame, certainly cannot include Trace McSorley. Yeah. School record four hundred sixty one yards of offense and I mean almost two hundred yards rushing, which is not necessarily his thing. He has that ability, but I mean he's not he shouldn't be the feature back carrying twenty five times in a game, um, way more than Miles Sanders, but I mean, he he really put the team on his back in this one. Yeah, and he wasn't even particularly good throwing the ball. Uh, I think he had 280-some yards and 93 came on a single pass play. So you take that away. He's 15 of 31 passing for like 190 yards. But again, what he did with his legs, what he's capable of doing with his legs shows why he is one of the better quarterbacks in the country and the Big Ten. And honestly, he outplayed for, I'd say, a vast majority of this game. He outplayed Dwayne Haskins. Certainly. And I mean, the just like the 93-yard pass inflated McSorley's numbers, Haskins' numbers looked a lot better from the last seven minutes of that game. Mm-hmm. We added on two more touchdowns to uh, to give them the lead. But um, i trying to think of uh, rationale and reasoning um, but maybe because McSorley was having so much success running the ball, that's why Penn State felt like calling a read option on fourth and five basically for the game was a good choice. Uh, but obviously, saw how that ended. Miles Sanders getting absolutely stuffed. Um, I even, even against maybe a a weak opponents, but going up against the defensive line that Ohio State has and not needing one yard, you need five. I don't understand yeah. why that's in consideration at that point. It Out of multiple timeouts, too. Yeah. Like, how how are we on the sideline? How are there a group of people that have coached for God knows how long that say, oh, fourth and five, we've called a couple timeouts, seen what the defense has thrown at us. Let's you know. Let's run inside the tackles here. That seems like the best play for us. Yeah, it's just like smartest guy in the room syndrome, maybe. Um, where just like 
basically outthinking yourself. This is so unorthodox, they'll never see it coming, but it's just so unorthodox because it's stupid. Like it's not it's not a consideration by ninety nine point nine percent of people in that situation for a reason. But, and and Sanders had forty three total yards rushing. Like what I, what makes you think that a guy that's averaging less than three yards a carry is gonna go get you five on fourth down? I don't know. But they're, literally they're, none of it makes sense. I I like trusting your guys and I like believing that you have the personnel to make a play, but sometimes you've just got to acknowledge the fact that, hey, they got a pretty darn good defense, especially the defensive line. And maybe, you know, maybe we're not capable of getting it inside the tackles. Maybe we should roll the pocket out and let our playmaking quarterback go get it for us. Yeah. I mean, that's that, two. That's that two. Would be, that would be logical. for James Franklin. But I mean, big win for Ohio State, certainly. Yep. Um, Big resume booster, getting that win on the road. Very tough environment. Um, another big win, Notre Dame, looking every bit the part of a playoff team, just smashing Stanford 38-17 at home. Ian Book, another phenomenal game, over 300 yards of offense, four touchdowns. But bigger addition to this game, season debut of uh, Dexter Williams, who had a big game Monster. on the ground for the Irish. Yeah, and it's not like the running game had been bad this season. Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones Jr. had been playing pretty well as a committee backfield. And then Williams just comes in and busts it loose, 21 carries, 161 yards, and a touchdown. It it just shows how good this offense can be. Ian Book obviously has them clicking in ways that, you know, Brandon Wimbush just couldn't get it going. And Book can even run the ball, too. This is, this is something that people forget because they always talk about Ian Book being the passing quarterback. Uh, and also, I guess, earlier this year, I was trying to get his Heisman campaign going for handing off the ball. But he, yes, he, he was a key, crucial part of that offense. 100% of his snaps in the first two or three games were touchdowns. But... He's he looks very comfortable in the pocket. He looks very comfortable with the ball in his hands, running. And he's got great running backs to get the ball to. The receiving core that I didn't think was anything great. You know, you lose a guy like St. Brown, you've lo- you've lost a lot of, you know, key targets. Miles Boykin stepped up big time with 11 catches and again, this defense just continues to show how good it is. Right, it's a reflection of the defense, or it's a reflection of Dexter Williams when you look and see he more than doubled Bryce Love's output mm-hmm. on the opposite end. And obviously, total team effort, you know, outgame Stanford by, you know, over 320 yards. So it wasn't just one guy um, out there making plays. This is as complete a performance as you'll see, really, in dismantling a fellow top 10 team. Um, and now, we were kind of talking last week, or I was at least, that a loss in this game would really make it difficult for Notre Dame to get anywhere near the playoff. But winning like this, I think, vaults them right up there into a team right on the verge of, of being in that top four. 100%. And they've got the benefit of being able to sit back and watch as all these teams above them are going to get, you know, tougher and tougher opponents while Notre Dame's schedule kind of fizzles out. Florida State has not been good this year. 
Virginia Tech, who we'll talk about later, that doesn't have their starting quarterback. Uh, USC is a shell of itself. You know, these are games that preseason you would point at and say, wow, you know, top 15 matchups coming here. Really good teams, you know, and, and it's just not there right now. So they can kind of, I wouldn't say coast through because it's Notre Dame football and they never coast through anything, but they have the benefit of having a lesser than schedule than the teams above them and being able to kind of sit back and watch as uh, the rest of the season unfolds. All they need is one slip up from a team. I mean, a one loss Notre Dame team does not get in the playoff. An undefeated one probably does. For sure does. Um, but yeah, I was looking at their schedule and like the toughest game remaining Syracuse. Maybe <laughs> it's at <laughs> like, Yankee Stadium, so it's, it's very possible. Yeah, um, but yeah, like you said, nothing nothing is as intimidating as it was before the season started. Um, and if you're Stanford, the opportunity to get wins will be there to get back in the conversation. But I think it, it would be pretty pretty dang tough for a one-loss Stanford team to get into the playoff, barring just utter domination from here on out, including, of course, against you know the likes of Washington. Yeah, and there's just no marquee team in the South right now that they can go beat in the Pac-12 title to really get that that marquee, you know, resounding win that they would need at this point. They'd have to blow out Washington and then – I don't even know. Hope Col- is Colorado in the South? Hope Colorado runs the table and then get a shot at them in the uh, Pac-12 South. But it it's going to be difficult. They'll have to be incredibly impressive throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, not a good look, certainly. No. Uh, Stanford. Uh, impressive win for a Pac-12 team. Was had by Washington. Um, not a great look for Wisconsin. No, not at all. Washington just dismantled BYU 35-7. I mean, Jake Browning had two incompletions on the game, and BYU had under 200 yards of offense. There's, as, as dominant as Notre Dame was, Washington was that and then some against a team that looked completely overmatched. Yeah, it. Um, I didn't hit the over in this one. The total was 46. They got to 42. That would hurt. I did have Washington, though, so that Same. Kind, of, kind of makes it easier. But Browning was impressive, but Tanner Mangum had three in- incompletions himself. He was pretty good. They just couldn't get the ball moving on offense. You know, it's it's one thing to complete your passes, but it's another to go, you know, 18 of 21 for 160 yards versus 23 to 25 for 277 and a touchdown. This is kind of the Washington we've been waiting for seven years to see, however long Browning and Gaskin have been there. And Gaskin didn't even really do too much in this game. I think he had 81 yards and a touchdown, but the defense is great. Like we've said all season, the secondary especially has shown that they can just shut down receivers and play inside the box in the run game. And then, you know, the offense was clicking. And that's that's all Washington needs. I mean, that is that is the key to success. Let the defense make make a couple plays, and then the offense gets going. And if there is a team in the Pac-12 that would make the playoff, I still think Washington is that team. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have a quote-unquote better loss. Um, basically, a 
essentially a road game um, mm-hmm. in the South to Auburn. Um, very close game compared to Stanford getting worked by Notre Dame. Um, I think, honestly, Washington's game against Auburn is much more potential to be like a body clock game than playing at night in South Bend. Definitely. Um, but yeah, this is this is the type of performance from Washington that kind of gets you back into the national landscape. Um, with BYU, as bad as they look, still a top 20 team. Um, and that, that win does turn some heads. We'll have to do that for the remainder of the Pac-12 season. Basically the exact same thing you said for Stanford, um, because most of those teams are not that good for lack of better words. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough year for the Pac-12. I think Washington, Stanford and Oregon are like the only three really solid. I won't even say good, really solid teams in the conference. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Oregon, got that good bounce back win after the Stanford loss, um, took down Cal, Cal kind of branding itself as more of a defensive team, but they really couldn't stop Oregon. And I mean, they're, they're never going to have the offense to keep up with the Ducks. No, I don't think uh, many teams kind of expect that in the Pac-12. The big story, Oregon's defense forcing five turnovers, uh, just all around like solid win. This, you know, had they beaten or held on against Stanford and then dominated Cal like this, we're talking about the Ducks in the playoff race right now. I mean, that's how close they were to being in this. Yeah, it's uh, that's sure to make some people feel good. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, Justin Herbert was solid. Um, wasn't really asked to do all that much. I mean, the Oregon's rushing attack is a combination. of We talked about Verdell last week, Travis Dye also this week. Um, big performances, those guys combined for over 220 on the ground. Oregon is kind of getting back to that brand of football that is so very fun to watch and kind of what they had been known for when they were a national powerhouse uh, for all those years. And, I mean, college football will benefit if, they can pretty much consistently be back to that. Yeah, being able to watch them the past two weeks gets you excited, actually, about not just Oregon, but, like, college football in general. It's, like, perfect nightcap. You know, the Pac-12 after dark game, that's what it's about. Oregon and God knows who, at this point, just running up the score on each other or Oregon doing it to the other team because they're just so much better. Right, I want to watch teams where I can see the over-under at like 75 and be like, oh, got to hammer that over. Yep, that's easy. Like USC, Arizona last year, um, Khalil Tate before Kevin Sumlin ruined him. Yes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Our guy. Uh, Yeah, he's having having another rough one. Um, The other other big game last week, also high-scoring, though, not as competitive as the score might indicate. West Virginia, Texas Tech. This was an absolute route initially. Um, West Virginia is up 28-7 after a quarter and 35-10 half uh, before 
Jeff Duffy came on in relief of Alan Bowman, made it a bit of a game uh, for Texas Tech before West Virginia held on. West yeah. Virginia now kind of uh, inching their way, just keep winning every week, inching their way into uh, the top ten, into the, the playoff race. West Virginia could be the best first-half team in college football. Like, they every week seem to come out just dominate in the first half and then don't do a goddamn thing in the second half. It's infuriating, but it's it makes the games a little more fun. Texas Tech, I'll give them credit. I think Texas Tech is better than I had expected. I don't think they're a great team, but I think you can see the strides that Cliff Kingsbury's made. They're tiny ones, but they're still strides forward, not backward. The defense is definitely better than it's been. And this is, you know, coming after giving up 42 points this week or this past week. Quarterback situation's a little messy. They've got a couple injuries and don't really know what's going on there, but They've got a good running game and, I mean, a better defense. So if if there were a time to buy on Cliff Kingsbury, this could be it. But then again, the wheels can just fall off so quickly for him. Yeah, I'd, I don't know. I would, I'd always stay away from, from Texas Tech as an investment. Um, but, yeah, I, like, I kind of do feel like that's West Virginia's brand a little bit is fast starts and then – kind of struggling to the finish line yep. is that that's kind of how they've been season over season in college football. They'll come out like world beaters. Geno Smith wins the September Heisman, for example. And then you know, later in the season, they come back to earth a little bit. That's why I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about this team. Cause I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and for them to drop, you know, two or three games they shouldn't and kind of fall out of, the playoff picture or even uh, the Big 12 title picture challenging Oklahoma. So far, they've they've done enough to make it through every game. But, yeah, like, you're up 35-10 at halftime. You should, yeah. you know, win that. Close it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they did, but they scored seven points in the it second a, half. It was a one-possession game. It at was. At the end of the game. That shouldn't happen. Yeah, it's uh I mean Will Greer I think is still the Heisman front runner. He had another awesome yeah. game. The defense looks good like we've been saying. They look good in the first half and then all of a sudden something happens and they just kind of forget how to play football for, you know, 30 minutes and they'll hold on, but it's going to be a close one. If they solve that, I am very comfortable with my investment of Oklahoma or uh, West Virginia to win the Big 12. Until I see that they're capable of doing it, I'm going to be a little worried. Right. Yeah. Kind of right there with you on that front. Um, Other big stories of last week plus in college football, um, Clemson quarterback controversy, Trevor Lawrence named the starter, Kelly Bryant almost immediately announcing he's going to transfer, um, explore somewhere else where he can more guaranteed playing time. Not one full game later, Trevor Lawrence gets hurt, and Bryant would have had the job back if he stayed. Um, instead, uh, Clemson left for dead against Syracuse, thought for sure they were going to lose that game when they went down by 10 late. Uh, Travis at the end, 
incredible game on the ground. Uh, Chase Bryce off the bench, started the season as a third stringer, is leading game-winning drives uh, for one of the best teams in all of college football. Wild scene there. If you're Kelly Bryant, do you consider trying to somehow come back? No, absolutely not. I think this was – I actually think Dabo made a smart decision for both his team and for uh, Kelly Bryant. With the new uh, redshirt rules, he now can redshirt this season, still have a year of eligibility left, and transfer. If he would have played a single snap, this is this is his last year, so he has to stay at Clemson. He was never gonna like he. It feels like the incumbent rule where you know we're gonna we're gonna give the nod to the veteran because you know he's been here, he's putting his time. The guy's backed up to Sean Watson. He beat out Hunter Johnson last year. Like he's gone through the gauntlet to get this job, and then. All of a sudden, you know, you have Trevor Lawrence get onto campus and he's pushing for the starting job and people are calling for him, even though Kelly Bryant hasn't lost a game and has looked pretty good in all of his starts. And then you take the job away from the guy who, you know, has battled for it and gone through, you know, gone through a lot for it. So I get the rationale for both sides. I think it's a right decision for everybody. You're not going to risk losing a guy like Trevor Lawrence for a senior and Kelly Bryant. You're just not going to do it no matter how good he may be. And Lawrence has so much raw talent. It's, it's going to get better, obviously if he stays healthy, but it's going to continue to get better uh, as he goes on the decision-making, everything like that. So I think from Kelly Bryant's standpoint, you're, you're gone, you're transferring, you're doing what you need to do. Uh, there are going to be a ton of ton of programs calling you, so you'll you'll have a nice little pick for the next school. And then you know, if you're Dabo, you're just focusing on getting Trevor Lawrence healthy and you know Bryce getting him up to speed. Yeah, you certainly can't fault Kelly Bryant for doing what he feels is in his best interest. It's just Monte Davis levels of irony that mm-hmm. that happened pretty much the second he left. Um, but yeah, I mean, out of out of the top four, Clemson certainly looked the most vulnerable to an inferior opponent so far. It's obviously Georgia and Bama, and Ohio State against inferior opponents have not. Yeah, and we're on our way to what could be like the biggest crop of talented quarterback transfers probably ever in college football. We're just waiting for Jalen Hurts to make his announcement. Essentially, at this point, he's playing garbage time for Alabama. Um, seems like uh, not that Wimbush is like a big name, but it seems like he would be on his way out of South Bend. There are a couple other, you know, quarterbacks that really aren't getting the playing time they think they need and could be out out the door. Yeah, it'd be like an Everett Golson, yep, Florida State situation. Um. Yeah, so we, we talked about the top four. The next three teams all have ranked opponents um, this upcoming week, two of them on the road. Start with the highest ranked, number five, LSU, number 22, Florida. Florida is kind of a punchline after they lost to Kentucky for the first time in forever, but that is their only loss this season. Back-to-back road wins over Tennessee and Mississippi State holding that Pretty solid offense under Joe Moorhead's at just six points last week. 
LSU has looked good, obviously. Um, who are you liking in this one? I'm going to keep rolling with LSU. It's tough because it's you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like things have been going too well for LSU and Coach O, and you're just waiting for that one game where they probably shouldn't lose, and I think that's this one, and they're just going to come out and lay an absolute egg and lose like 12 to 9. But that's that's old Coach O. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to be all right. I think they'll win this one. Brosset again, is probably the best running back that Florida has seen thus far. And, you know, Joe Burrow has to get better, right? <laughs> I say it every week. He has to get better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I for as decent as Mississippi State may be, I think LSU is on an entirely different level. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely expecting that 12-9 game. This is – Starting about as tough a four-game stretch as you will get um, in college football for LSU. You've got Florida. Come right back next week. You've got Georgia, then Mississippi State, and then it's Alabama. Fortunately for them, Georgia and Alabama are both going to be in Death Valley, which helps Mm -hmm. immensely. That being said, it is going to be extremely difficult, probably impossible for the guys to not be looking ahead a little bit to Georgia. Um, And I do think this is kind of where the letdown game comes. Like very good last week against Ole Miss. Um, Joe Burrow certainly did as a passer and as a runner. And they throttled what is not an awful Ole Miss team, I guess. Um, Beat Texas Tech. So there's something. They did. Um, Scored for about a thousand points. Yeah. but it's it's the same it's the same old style of Florida team where I mean it's yep. Felipe Franks at quarterbacks so you know what he is he's not going to be anything spectacular but the defense has been playing really well and it felt like a down. Will Muschamp game last week yeah which isn't necessarily a compliment but no. uh, shutting down a, a guy like Nick Fitzgerald we know what he can do uh, very good dual threat quarterback. Dan Mullen obviously really wanted that win against mm-hmm. his old team, but I mean, this is it's going to be rocking the swamp. Feeling good about their team again, I would imagine. Um, you know, all the bad feelings about the Kentucky loss. I mean, honestly, that's probably not even a bad loss at this point. It's Kentucky's undefeated top fifteen team, but yeah, I think I think Florida really succeeds in making this. An ugly, some may say grinder of a game, and eke out a victory. All right. I'm, I, again, I'm taking LSU. I'm probably going to bet LSU as well. So, really doubling down on it. Yeah. Always got it. Uh, Notre Dame at Virginia Tech. A week after Virginia Tech somehow lost to Old Dominion. Big back in a big way, got a win over Duke, new quarterback, Kansas transfer Ryan Willis, threw for 332 yards and three touchdowns in that win over the Blue Devils. We talked about how impressive Notre Dame was against Stanford last week. Do they keep that rolling? They do. Uh, Blacksburg's a very tough place to play. We all know it. Enter Sandman pops on and that place gets popping. But without Josh Jackson, this team is just not the same. They've got a good defense, but the offense isn't quite there. 
I really don't think Duke is a good football team. They have a strong defense, but it's not anything near the level of Notre Dame's. So I expect Dexter Williams to have another nice game, and Ian Book keeps rolling. The defense does their job and stops a backup quarterback, and this one feels like a, another – not a big win, but probably a double-digit win for Notre Dame. I'm inclined to give Ryan Willis a little bit benefit of the depth, um, like kind of looking what he did at Kansas, because it's very hard for anyone post-Todd Reesing era to look good at all. Um, you're just kind of considering what he was surrounding himself by. I think he's a little closer to what he showed last week, although I don't think we can really expect that to be a weekly performance. Mm-hmm. Um, if this is in South Bend, I think Notre Dame wins comfortably, but he said, um, Anderson and one of the, the better pregame traditions in college football and really, really gets the people going. Um, Beamer ball is still in full effect as we, we've oh, yeah. seen right in their opening game of the season against Florida State. But, um, yeah, I, I think Notre Dame. Keeps rolling. Ian Book has been spectacular, and I think that continues taking Notre Dame as well. And then, is Texas back? No. <laughs> Got the yeah. Red River rivalry this week, um, taking on Oklahoma at the Cotton Bowl. One lost Texas. They lost to Maryland, and then uh, nothing since. So Jeez. that's that's something. They have snuck back into the top 20, which means, or I mean, which I think means they're probably primed for yet another fall. Yep. Uh, Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Maryland got blown out by Temple. Maryland's got talent, but they aren't a great football team, and they handled handled Texas. This this is the perfect – let's start over there. Looking at the rankings, people just don't know who to put in when you get to like 17 anymore. Like Kentucky is number 13. I get they're undefeated and they had a, they have a couple decent wins, but everybody's freaking out there. It, it's almost like there aren't that many good teams anymore. And once you get to, you know, 16, 17, 18 through 25, it's like, oh, well, they've got one loss. So let's throw them there. And, you know, Texas does have the win over TCU. And they do have an ugly, ugly win against a bad Kansas State team last week and somehow have moved into the top 20. This feels like a game where Oklahoma's offense is just rolling at this point. Kyler Murray looks great. That offense in general, even without Rodney Anderson, looks pretty good. They dropped 66 on Baylor. It feels like a game where Oklahoma should blow them out, but it's a rivalry game, so you know it's going to be closer. I'm going to take Oklahoma in a one-score game. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like even the fact that Virginia Tech is ranked again yes. after losing to Old Dominion. Winless like, Old Dominion. Right, like their their marquee win is now Duke because their quote-unquote marquee win is over Florida State. Florida State sucks. Mm-hmm. So it's just recognizable names, basically, um, at this point, trying to sneak back in. But, yeah, in this game, 
I don't know. It's it it is a little bit of of strength on strength. If Texas has a above average uh, defense, especially by Big Twelve standards, but I think what Kyler Murray can do far um, surpasses that, and I mean will prove to surpass that during this game. Um, I I guess it'll it'll probably be close because it's just one of those rivalry game things, but. From a talent level, I think Oklahoma is just a, a much, much better team. And I think over the course of a game, that will, you know, prove itself. And Oklahoma will win. I guess it'll be a single-digit game maybe. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't really see Oklahoma losing this one. And I honestly, like, kind of hope they don't because, yeah, like, the world – would lose its mind if Texas mm-hmm. won this game. This is the thing. If Texas plays anything like they did last week, they're going to lose by about 70 because Oklahoma's offense is rolling and their offense was absolutely useless last weekend. They scored 19 points against Kansas State. 19. Kansas, Kansas State, State stinks. Yeah. They stink. They struggled with South Dakota at home. Like South Dakota scored more than Texas did in Manhattan. So – if they play anything like they did last week, they're in trouble. However, if they play like they did against TCU, I think it's going to be a close game. I still just don't see a way Texas wins this unless Oklahoma completely falls apart. I mean, what you just said right there is Tom Herman syndrome. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I guess by that token, we'll be up for this game, um, and it will be very competitive. But, yeah, I like – I. We'll believe Texas is back when they blow out an inferior team by like 40 points. Yep. Let's say that. I mean, that's the mark. And it's kind of like how you know Notre Dame has a good offense when they can blow somebody out that they, that they should. It's, it's the games that you should win that you actually do by the amount people say. That's how you know you're a good team. Right. Like, yeah. Covering 40 points every week is how you know they're a good team. Ooh, phenomenal backdoor cover on – Louisiana Lafayette plus 48 and a half last week. Printing money there. Um, But yeah, I mean, those those are games that are a lot harder to get excited for and play. Like, anybody can get excited for this game. Your rival, top 10 team in the country playing at the Cotton Bowl, going to be electric atmosphere. I mean, getting up for the the Kansas States and the Baylors of the world, that's, that's a lot harder. And that's the mark of a great team. Right. You're able to do that. And, and why Nick Saban has been able to be so successful for so many years is because his teams are always ready for that. You don't see Alabama losing to really anyone they're not supposed to. Any game they're losing is to a ranked team and, you know, like an instant classic. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, the slate for this week. It'll take a lot to, to match last week in terms of Excitement, drama, dumbass decisions, mm-hmm. but I'm hopeful. I, I don't think that'll to- get topped, that poor decision. But no. Well, <laughs> I mean, if, I anyone, if anyone had similar feelings or, like, was like, oh, I probably would have done that in that situation. Like, the, the amount of shaming that's been going on just all over the internet and media and basically – everywhere um, in the college football world. 
make people rethink that real fast. Now, I I was trying to blog this. I didn't have time. But did you see the college football playoff committee said that, quote, there is a path for UCF to make the playoffs? I did not see that, no. So this game, this was a news dump, classic news dump, Friday, right before a big weekend of games, early in the day. And they, the the head of it, I think it's Oregon's athletic director. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Said that uh, he was asked, you know, what what would a team, you know, a group of five team or a team like UCF have to do this season in order to make it? And he said, you know, scheduling definitely matters. You know, you want it's harder for them because they obviously don't play the the better teams that the the bigger conferences do. But if they win all their games, they should be in the discussion. Ah, well, thanks. Uh, <laughs> what happened last year? Yeah. Like, this is this is the classic, oh, you know, like we totally, totally messed this up. There's no way they can do it two years in a row, though. So we're just going to throw this out this year early in the season. And that way when they lose, we'll be like, well, we, we told you if they just went undefeated, you know, all you have to do is win 26 straight games and we'll get you in the playoff. Yeah, like even just hearing that quote doesn't really seem like, giving them a fair shake like oh win all your games then you know we'll be in the discussion like you know if you go undefeated you should just be in especially playing in the american as good as they have proven themselves to be i mean i i think that should just kind of be a, a given at this point yeah unless, I mean, unless somehow there are four major conference teams that are all undefeated right then maybe but i mean that's not going to happen right and there can i mean everyone can argue like oh there's you know there's no way that UCF could beat a Georgia or an Alabama or whoever it's like why don't we see what is the problem that what is the problem with us looking and you know yeah they they kind of did beat Auburn last year who may or may not have beaten one of those teams previously yeah, uh, Makes but sense. it was it was just so laughable when I saw that they're like, oh yeah, they definitely have a path to get in. They just have to win all their games. It's like, okay, yeah, what happened to last year when they did that? Yeah, they they very clearly have a path, but you guys are just impeding it. So and then they it. they were saying that uh, you know the the playoff committee was higher on UCF than the media was. We had them ranked higher in our final rankings. It's like you had them at thirteen. Yeah, that's, thirteen and zero at thirteen. That's not even yeah. It's not even sniffing the field. No. And anything like that's an erroneous argument as well because a lot of AP voters will noticeably adjust their rankings to kind of reflect the playoff rankings once those start to come out. Obviously, people had UCF much higher until the playoff rankings started to come out and basically throw them back down to the bottom of the hill. And not only that, as you know from my com- constant complaining, I go through most of the AP voters' polls every week, and these people are just fucking idiots all the time. There was a guy, I'm not going to name who, had Virginia Tech at number 12 following their loss to Old Dominion. I don't, need, I don't have words. How do you do were that? They, were they number one before? I don't know. <laughs> How do you do that, though? Like, wh- I don't know. Your job is. I mean, to he's write. he's probably why they're still ranked. Like, yes, right now he probably has them at like five after last week. 
unbelievable. So it's like these people don't even do the bare minimum, and that's like look at the scores for the games and then, you know, move accordingly. It's why I hate the AP poll. It's why I hate all polls. We've, we talk about this yeah. a lot, but the numbers yeah, matter. And it, gets still true. it sucks, but that's, that's life. That's, that's my tangent on AP voting in the playoff. Yeah, I mean, so I guess we'll, we'll end the show because we, we do a lot of weeks. Um, polls suck and are stupid, and people are the worst. They are. Um, so we will keep following along UCF and all the other playoff hopefuls and hope that the Golden Knights finally can get a fair shake. Uh, we will be back next week after another week of college football. Don Well, we're coming to your city. Well, we flew through Oklahoma, Alabama, and through Georgia, trying to get on down to Florida for the game. And then we loaded up our tailgate, joined the convoy on the freeway, headed north to see them Buckeyes of Notre Dame. Hello.